This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Good morning. I have a new buzzword, multifactorial. Because when it comes to the causes of the floods and the solutions, there's no one easy answer. But there are plenty of myths. This morning, we're going to go through everything you've been hearing about floods and separate truth from fiction. To help me, in studio, Michael Fitzmaurice is the independent TD for Roscommon South Leitrim. John Sweeney is Professor Emeritus of Climatology from Maynooth University. Charles Stanley Smith is the Press Officer and Spokesperson for Anthashka. And Mark Adamson is Head of the Flood Relief and Risk Management Division with the OPW. Um, John, I'm going to start with you. I was talking yesterday to uh, Pat Shine, who used to work with Dublin City Council. He was involved in some of the planning that they were trying to do for flash flooding in the Dodder. And one of the problems they had was trying to figure out, well, what was a one in 100 year event, a one in 150 year event? And what was it realistic to plan for in terms of costs? So... Can you talk to us about the frequency of these floods? Indeed. Um, I I think the first thing that has to be said really is how how much sympathy and how our hearts go out to those people who have been displaced by the floods. Um, To me, they are a good example of what I think we can classify in the future now as Ireland's first climate change refugees. They are out of their home and they're out of their home primarily as a result of a combination of climate change and short-term weather events. Um, What has been striking about these floods to me has been the fact that in addition to the usual uh, houses that are flooded almost regularly by the Shannon, new housing on the floodplain, there have been a number of instances where houses which have been much older than that, 200 years, 300 years old, have been flooded. And to me, that's saying that this is an unusual event. It's an exceptional event which has been driven, I suspect, by a contribution from climate change, which is quite substantial. Now, in terms of the frequencies of events, therefore, in the future, I think we have to face facts that these kinds of events will become more common. Um, They will become the price we are paying in Ireland for not tackling climate change over the past 20, 30 years. The current science on this kind of an event... Well, the most recent paper I've seen was published by researchers in the University of Oxford and the Netherlands um, as recently as last month in Nature, the, the top-ranked journal. And what they estimated was that the, the rainfall event associated with Storm Desmond, which gave so much trouble in England and which therefore has a lot of relevance, I think, to us in terms of the, the research in Ireland, was that the contribution from climate change there was 40% that it was a 40% more probable that that kind of a rainfall event would occur in a greenhouse gas-loaded atmosphere than in a normal natural atmosphere. And more recently, I think Julia Slingo, who's the chief scientist in the UK Met Office, has looked more closely at the uh, probability of long, well, let's say 10, 10 days of extreme rainfall occurring, which is very similar to what we've had here in Ireland in the past month, And she estimated uh, from work there, and they published a a paper recently on it, uh, that it was seven times more probable that that kind of an event would occur, a 10-day sustained extreme rainfall, 
um, with a greenhouse gas-loaded atmosphere than without. And that was done on the basis of thousands of model runs with an atmosphere loaded with greenhouse gases and without. So what we're seeing, I think, is undoubtedly a change in the regime. And it's a change which really reflects the fact that our, our previous reliance on statistical estimates of the once in a hundred, once in a thousand year event is going to be flawed, quite honestly, in the future because we now have to recognise we're not in a stationary time series, the kind of time series which would enable advanced statistics to say this is the tale of the distribution, this is the once in a hundred year event. We're on a, sta- on a moving time series. And the best guess we can make on that at the moment is that the kind of event which would occur in the past once in a century is likely to occur now uh, perhaps once in 70 to once in 50 years. Um, so we're looking at a, a substantial change in the frequency of those events and consequently the extreme version of those events is going to be more extreme than it was in the past as well. And that's, I think, part of what we're seeing in the Shannon today. Right. So, Mark Adamson, you're head of the Flood Relief and Risk Management Division. And I suppose that risk management is what I'm just driving at at the minute. Mm. Do you have the resources that you would like to be able to say, to be even able to carry out cost-benefit analysis and say, we need to spend so much money because these events are going to be becoming more frequent. Yeah, I'd firstly, I'd just uh, re-emphasise um, John's comments and express our sympathies, obviously, for the, the current and victims of the floods, and obviously the, there will be ongoing suffering associated with that, so just our, our sympathies out to them. Um, we have been undertaking over the last few years um, the CFRAM programme. Um, CFRAM's probably a word many people have heard at this point, um, just to explain. It stands for Catchment um, Flood Risk Assessment and Management Programme. Um, This is something that was born out of the the National Flood Policy Review back in 2004 um, and also helps us to meet the requirements of the EU Floods Directive that came in in 2007. And it's really the first national comprehensive assessment of risk and the development of comprehensive plans for managing that flood risk. So we started the national programme having completed some some pilots to sort of test the process, if you like, um, back in 2011 up to 2012. Um, we've been going through a, a huge data collection process. There's been a, a vast amount of survey work on, ongoing. Um, we've surveyed about 6,500 kilometres of river. Um, and we're focusing on 300 hotspots, as we call them. Um, these are the areas where the risk is, is concentrated. Um, it's got a history of flooding. We project that there is a significant flood risk in these, in these 300 areas. So we've been focusing on those um, and looking at the hydrological analysis, um, developing hydraulic models, and using those then to allow us to to map out, model and map out the areas which are potentially prone to flooding for a range of different flood events, from from small frequent events that we might um, historically have seen once every two years, all the way up to very extreme events, um, sort of even more extreme than the, the kind of flooding that we're, we're seeing now. And presumably you look at that from what I suppose they call a holistic view, that you don't look at one area and say, well, we could build walls there because that would have a knock-on effect down the road another bit. Ab- absolutely. I yeah. mean, we've, we've, we've produced the maps now. Um, we've been out around the country showing those in what we call public consultation days, um, and we're on the point of finalising those maps. So the stage we're currently in now is looking at what options have we got to, to solve the problems. Um, we obviously start with a blank piece of paper, look at all the possible mitigation measures that we can put in. And we do do that on a, on a catchment basis. 
Historically, prior to CFREM, um, we would have developed a number of flood relief schemes such as in Kilkenny, Clonmel, Mallow and Fomoy. And it's good to see that they've been very effective in, in the recent floods in preventing um, those areas that have suffered significantly in the past from, from flooding on, on these occasions. But they would have been looked at um, as a single location. What's different in the CFRAM is we are looking at that now in terms of where they sit within the catchment um, and very much looking at, well, are there particular measures such as upstream storage that will benefit maybe more than one of these um, hotspots? And also looking, obviously, then at the impacts of what we could potentially do to manage the risk and make sure that it's not going to exacerbate the problems further upstream or downstream. Mark, is there a figure? Like, how do you decide how many millions is worth spending on a particular area? Is it based on population? Is it based on what you think the frequency will be? How much is a house worth in terms of defending it? Well, it's it's very complex and it involves all of those things. Um, We do look at it statistically. Um, So we look at what the damages might be in these small frequent events, in intermediate events, severe events, and indeed very extreme events, and then integrate that into what we call an annual average damage. And that takes into account the likely impacts in terms of uh, damages to to properties, um, homes, businesses, and so on. And that's based on decades of research that's been done over in the UK at the Flood Hazard Research Centre in in Middlesex. But here in Ireland, um, we also take into account, obviously, the, the, the impact on people. And we make a financial allowance for the the stress, the ill health, the worry that people have during and after a flood event, but also the worry that a flood event might happen, you know, the the mere fact of being at risk. So we take account of that in our economic calculations. And we we examine then what the potential options are and develop costs for them and then compare the costs to the potential benefits. And obviously we need to be prudent with taxpayers' money um, so generally, we, we, we can only take a scheme forward if the, the benefits outweigh the costs. If you right. Like. Now, Michael Fitzmaurice, I slipped into your constituency yesterday and had a peek around to see what was going on. I was in the townland of Clanowen. It's just on the Roscommon side of the Shannon. And people there were telling me stories of how they used to live closer to the Shannon, but it was flooded and flooded all the time. One woman was telling me about how her father used to carry her on piggyback out to get to the road so she could go to school. And eventually the Land Commission just said, you know what, this is always going to flood. And they moved them up onto higher ground, some of which is now flooding now, by the way. Do you accept that for some people we might have reached that point? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is um, look at all the different options of solving this problem before we jump into the sea altogether and go removing people from their areas. Um, And listen to Mark there, um, when you're doing a cost-based analysis, and I've watched what has gone on over the last few years. You haven't done a cost-based analysis on environmental damage in the line of septic tanks, in the line of slashed sheds. That's not accounted for when you're assessing um, what you do in an area. And I think that this has to start being looked at. Um, we also, and, and, and this CFRAM report has gone on, and I'll give you the straight facts about CFRAM. I went to CFRAM in Cassidy, where there are a number of houses that flood and the great news that I got, my 10-year-old daughter would write uh, better about it, that um, to raise the plugs within in the houses, um, that that was the only thing that was in line for Castlery. I couldn't actually believe the taxpayers were paying for such crap, to be quite frank about it. Um, I think that the likes of the OPW need to be given full authority on the likes of 
the Shannon and those these rivers. Um, but I've seen places where money has been spent on consultants. And I think we need to look at a certain stage as well in the smaller projects where design and build can operate. I, in the likes of Ed League, we are 10, 15 years looking at Ed League. Money is being spent. There are three simple solutions to Ed League. Last weekend, we put a bond around the river Suck that saved the town. There is... Um, say where where we are putting pipes now we need to put culverts we are not looking to the future what we need to do and on top of that the levels of the Shannon has been risen in the 70s and right you know for, for we, we need to make sure that we have tourism as well everyone's on board with that but what we need to do is make sure that at a time of year that we are not um, into the tourism season that we drop the levels and like this isn't going on the, everyone will tell you down along there are parts of the Shannon that are nearly closed and yes, Borden and Mona have a lot to answer for. We need to open the question in the line of the Shannon in Ardna Crusha. Is it 2% of electricity it's producing? Is it worthwhile keeping it? We need to make sure that we look at floodplains because the likes of where Borden and Mona have operated, they have gone to the solid black peat and I do think that there's an opening for that. I know that there will be a need for walls but we are going on with report after report after report down through the years. But at the end of the day, the people in be it South Galway, be it in Clanown, be it in Carrick and Shannon and in all different parts of Ireland, I come from a background of dread, of, of digging um, and letting water go here and there. We haven't, Europe, the people haven't gone on the ground when they're doing the sea farm. They haven't gone to at league. All they're doing is they're, they're meeting them next week because actually there was a flood in it when they were to meet them and they wouldn't come down. And this isn't how you solve a problem. You need people out. There's turlocks involved. Water in, in that area is complex. Water backflows into turlocks, comes out of turlocks, and we need to know where it shows up. Some turlocks near me end up near the Shannon. Some of them don't move at all. And this is a complex situation that we're not doing enough of research in, in my view. And second of all, it's the local knowledge in the local areas. Round that league, it was local people that knew how to solve the problem. And we tend at the moment to have people going around with every gazebo above on their back telling us how they're going to solve a thing without knowing how to do it. Okay, Mark, I'm going to come to Charles Stanley Smith in just one second on some of those issues that Michael has raised, but just quickly on the CFRAMs and Michael's accusation that maybe you didn't consult local people who might have had local knowledge. Mm. Did you ask the locals or how is this No, we have. I mean, the the consultants in each of the uh, hotspots that we've been to, there have been public consultation days held um, as I said, when the flood maps were produced, um, there were about 220 um, public consultation days held around the country where OPW staff and, and the consultants we've employed have been down there for the day um, okay. to, to talk to the people to see if yeah, the flood maps are right. I was in Kesselry at the consultation. The consultation told me what was being proposed. I asked them, rising plugs within in the houses. This was the idea. I said, is there money to sort Kesselry? And they said, well, no, this one isn't. Uh, that, that that's what they're intending to do tell people to raise the plugs and that's it that's the thing that's done for Cassidy now we paid consultants to do that I could have come up with that brainwave yeah I mean we, we as I said earlier on in the, yeah. the programme you know when we when we come to an area we look at the whole range of, of possible measures to take forward the ones that we can take forward are those as I said where the benefits outweigh the costs I'm not familiar with the, the specific details of Castle Ree. Okay. Um, but there are instances, and I think we need to recognise that there are instances where the, the kind of structural flood protection projects that we've implemented in places like Kilkenny and Clonmel are not going to be viable in every location. And we need to take a, a wider look at the way we manage flood risk in terms of 
ensuring people are more resilient to the yeah. flood risk. Now, uh, Charles Stanley Smith. So we'll start going through some of the factors that people blame. And I was talking to John Curley from the IFA, who's from Clonowen yesterday, and he was absolutely adamant that the way the ESB manages the water flow through Ardna Crusha at this famous Partine Weir, which is below Loch Derg, it's right down near the bottom of the Shannon. And it's always helpful for anyone listening to these conversations to get the map out and look at some of these places. Uh, you live down near Loch Derg. I live actually on Loch Derg. So can you address this issue of, first of all, the principle, does managing water flow down near Loch Derg assist the farmers and the residents further up the Shannon in places like Roscommon and South Galway? Not particularly in Loch Derg, actually, but Loch Ree would. Uh, Loch Derg, uh, the, what's been happening there in Clonlara is they have had to uh, let more over Partine wear than they normally would, which is causing problems down in Clonlara. But uh, the, I live on Loch Derg and I do keep an eye on the level of the lake every day and because I take my dogs for a walk down there. And uh, I have always noticed in the past that the ESB will actually drop the level of the lake ahead of forecasted rainfall. But the thing is, it's actually rain solidly now for for a month, you know, and we had actually a winter's worth of rain in the month of December. So I don't actually believe, I've never had it confirmed by the ESB that actually, because as you say, and, and Michael said, Arden Crusher isn't actually generating that much. It's not a base load station. Yeah, it's just 2% into yeah. the national grid. So it's not, you know, it's not part of their plan. So it is actually not a problem for them not to control the levels of the the lakes for generation. And I do believe that that strategy has been in place of the SBA for the past few years. Do you think there's <clears throat> anything like, let's say we just decided we don't need Arden Crusher anymore. It's would, too short. Would it make any difference to the management of the water No, flow? because you have to let water out of uh, the lake. And the two ways of letting it out are over Partine yeah. or through Arden Crusher. And if you're letting it out, you know, if you're letting it out through Arden Crusher, you're not, you're not uh, drowning Clonlara, which happens when you let it out over Partine. So you might as well have Arden Crusher there. You might as well use it to uh, drain the, the levels, as it were. But what, what it is, it's just not keeping the levels high at the start of winter and things like that. They could drop them for, by even a metre at the start of winter, but that will only gain a few days. It's not going to gain a huge amount, but it will be an important few days. Now, and the other thing they say is that the the channel coming out of Loch Derg is very, very narrow. So if perhaps that could be widened or something to allow water out of Loch Derg quicker, then the water further upstream would be able to clear quicker. Well, no. Again, as um, both Mark and, and Michael said, there have actually been hundreds of what well, many reports over the past uh, number of years and one thing that hasn't been ever is any investment following those reports. They've all just been stuck on a shelf somewhere. I fully agree with Michael on that. But actually, none of them have said that the problem is uh, the exit out of lockdown. That right. is not a problem. Now, all that happens, as I say, what happened is uh, that they... Currently, the level of, of lockdown is about four inches lower than it was in 2009. And a lot of that is because I think they have been letting out rather more over partying than they did in 2009. Now, what's actually, Mark, can I come back to you? What is Melik Weir? Where is that? And what effect does the management of it have on the flooding? Okay, I'll just come back to that in one second, okay. if I may. But I'd like yeah. to just respond on a couple sure. of points made there that, um, you know, there have been a lot of reports done on the Shannon. And that's absolutely right. I mean, the 
Rydell from the American Corps of Engineers came over in, I think it was 1956, um, and there have been a number of studies done since then. Um, the CFRAM isn't just another re report that will sit on, on, on the shelves. We've done the pilots in the Lee, um, the, the Dodder, and the Fingal East Meath area, and these studies lead through to sort of outline designs of schemes, which can then be moved quite quickly into implementation. So there are a number of schemes which are now progressing um, on the ground as a result of the pilots that we'll do. And the same will happen in terms of the, the national CFRAM programme. You'll have heard, obviously, that the government's allowed for 430 million euros of investment to put into place the recommendations of the CFRAM programme. So coming back to Milik Weir, Milik Weir is um, on the channel, on the, on the river between Loch Derg and Loch Ree. Right. Um, and who's in charge of it? Waterways Island operated... Um, but I think it's ESB, as I understand, who determine that certain levels need to be set. But there are um, certain levels that need to be maintained in terms of navigation. Um, but studies have been done to look at what would happen if you just took Mealy Weir out completely. Yeah. And it will have a slight impact on the on a short reach upstream in terms of lowering uh, levels. But that slight amount could mean an awful lot to the people living there. But it's only over a very short reach. Um, the effect of removing Mealy Weir will actually have a very limited effect, um, just a, just a, a couple of kilometres upstream. And But do you see that if people are talking about inches, mm. that that could mean everything to yeah. them? Well, we are, we are, I mean, that's part of the, you know, the range of options that we're looking at. We're not throwing anything out just yet. We're looking at um, protection schemes that could go in for places like Athlone, Carrick and Shure and, and so on. Um, we're looking at... Um, uh, the flood warning, flood forecasting, and also various measures that can be done along the length of the Shannon, which can have benefits for, for, for various um, of these hotspots, as I mentioned. So we're looking at each of these, and then we'll need to be looking at them in combination. So the ultimate solution, and we have, don't have this um, set out yet, may involve some things in, such as amending Melik um, Weir, amending the Weir in Athlone as well to get greater control right. over Loch Ray, along with... Um, localised protection works. Okay, so we're going to take a quick ad break now and when we come back we'll be talking to Geoffrey Lean. Um, he's an English environmental journalist and he can tell us what they've learned from their experiences there. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about flood solutions this morning. In studio with me, Michael Fitzmaurice, Independent TD for Roscommon South Leitrim, John Sweeney, Professor Emeritus of Climatology from Maynooth University, and Charles Stanley Smith from Anthashka, and Mark Adamson, Head of Flood Relief and Risk Management Division with the OPW. But on the line now is Geoffrey Lean. He's one of Britain's longest-serving environmental journalists. And Geoffrey, thank you for joining us this morning. I was reading an interesting article you wrote about the town of Pickering. Can you tell us us about their experience there and what you think we might be able to learn from it. Well, I wouldn't presume to tell you in Ireland what you can learn, <laughs> though indeed my wife's family comes from... My wife is Irish and um, my niece Amy was cut off by floods in Kenmare in early December oh. when she was due to give birth. Oh, so well, my we goodness. were living through it as well as you in Ireland. <laughs> but, um, but Pickering, yes. Well, Pickering is, is uh, at the bottom, a very beautiful little town at the bottom of our North Yorkshire moors. Um, and it ha was very prone to flooding. It flooded four times um, up, to 19, up to 2007 in, in eight years. So, you know, it drops rain and pickering floods, basically. So the people were wondering what to do about it. And um, our environment agency proposed a big scheme, a £20 million scheme. 
trouble is it would have built a big wall right through the centre of a very popular tourist town uh, and sort of ruin its attractiveness. And then they said they couldn't get it anyway because it would cost £20 million and not enough people would benefit to justify it. So the people sort of got rather angry at this and took things into their own hands and called in a lot of academics from Oxford University, Newcastle University, Durham, I think, I can't quite remember. And um, they, um, they, came, they looked at all possible plans, including dredging the rivers of the sea, and found the best one was to try to retain as much of the water as possible in the hills above Pickering. So they built um, leaky wooden dams and he- dams made of heather in the ditches and streams above Pickering, which let some water through but hold back high flows, and then a big bund that would again hold back high flows and just let enough water through in a culvert. And um, this year, uh, Pickering did not get as much rain as many of the other parts of Yorkshire and Britain, but it did get horrendous rain on Boxing Day, and all the locals say it would definitely have flooded the town in times past, but it didn't flood, it remained dry. So it's not something you can do everywhere, it's, a, um, it's particularly useful in areas of small catchments, um, like Pickering, um, where it would be too expensive to do other things. But one thing it does sort of draw attention to is the value, among everything else, of holding water back in the hills at times of flooding. And what we've done in the UK, at least, is we've, we've fewer trees than we should naturally have. Um, we've drained an awful lot of our bogs, which hold, can hold up to... Bog, Sock, not up to 90% water. We have overstocked with sheep a lot, which means that um, both they overgraze and they compact the soil. Even our grouse, famous grouse moors seem to do damage. And so we have begun to sort of reduce the natural defence against flooding and let the water run off the hills faster, which causes more flooding downstream. Now, has that realisation translated yet into government policy? Not yet. Um, it might have translated into government thinking. I mean, you know, a pretty dense government here, um, and it takes rather a large hammer and rather a large nail, I think, to sort of penetrate the skull. Um, but um, there's some talk of it going on. Right. Um, there's also a very, very, very powerful um, counter voice for dredging, which tends to come out of the right, and very often the climate sceptic right in, in, in our country, who are closer ideologically to the government. So they tend to be more persuaded by the voices urging that you dredge everything, which sometimes is useful but can also be a false solution, than by the voices saying, look, let's hold the stuff up in the hills if we can. And you've referred to as well as forced dichotomies, that you end up with, say, people like one of my guests here, Michael Fitzmaurice, who may be coming into conflict with one of my other guests, Charles Stanley Smith, who's an environmentalist, that can the farmer and the environmentalist be friends? Well, they should be. I mean, they need to be. If the farmer doesn't look after the environment, he won't be farming very long. Um, if the environmentalist um, doesn't be friends with the farmer, he's not going to get many of his things implemented. Okay. So, you know, nature and the economy should work together. Okay, Jeffrey, I'm afraid we have to leave it there for the moment. Many thanks for joining us. Um, John Sweeney, so just on that thing of land use and the idea of bogs, dams, these natural solutions, are they feasible for our kinds of problems? I think what, um, <clears throat> what Geoffrey was saying uh, makes a great deal of sense uh, as well. 
Um, as was mentioned already, we've had, I think, five major studies of the Shannon since 1956. None of them have come up with a solution. And the reality is, of course, that we're dealing with an island which is very unusual in terms of its topography. We're basically a saucer. Well, we're basically a, a, an apple tart um, with a soft centre. <laughs> the, crust, the crusty bits are around the outside where the mountains are. And it means that uh, the Shannon is an extremely unusual river where in a normal river, the fast-flowing bits would be in the upper reaches, whereas, and the lower reaches would be slow-moving. In the Shannon, it's the opposite way around. From, I, I think, uh, uh, all the way from Loch Allen to Killaloo, it drops only 17 metres. And therefore, you're really looking at a lake rather so than a would river. Would you then give yourself up to it? Would you say, there's this rainfall coming, there's nothing we can do to stop it, we have to look at relocation. I think we have to. Um, I think we've made the mistake of um, of putting people in vulnerable positions, in vulnerable situations, and sadly, it wasn't the planners that did it. It was the it was the local politicians who rezoned land for building and allowed permissions yeah, in areas that I've, were wrong. I've checked the the most recent planning legislation, and on Borplanola do have the right to overturn planning if it's in a flood zone. I don't know how often they've used it, but I think. To be fair, it wasn't entirely county councillors, mm. although I'm naturally defensive of county councillors because my father used to be one, so forgive me on that. Um, Michael Fitzmaurice, I want to come back to you. Board Namona. Yeah. Now, they get um, scapegoated a little bit as well. Now, I know I think all my other panellists will say dredging doesn't work. But from what I can tell, Board Namona, and of course you're a tough crusher, aren't you? So you might know about this. All this silt is just pouring into the Shannon for 30 or 40 years do you think it is feasible to say that's not nature, that wasn't supposed to be there, that was man-made, we should undo that? Yeah, well, first of all, um, in parts of the Shannon in the line in Banagher and, say, along Lanesborough um, and in contributories into it. And as well as that, it's not alone board Mona. There was a massive wind project <clears throat> done in Loch Allen. And um, that wind project, while it was being done, there was a slip of the mountain down into Loch Allen. Now, all this stuff has accumulated. And let no one say, if you're Mill and Pete, over the years it has gone into it. And um, there are f- flash places that have real big problems. If you have a sandy bottom, and, and sort of, I come from this t- type of background, you won't see it collecting as much. But if you have a sort of a boggy, locky bottom, it will collect. And that has happened in places. I'm not saying that dredging is the whole solution to mm. everything. There is a lot of complex um, you know, scenarios. I have seen at the moment, and last night at two o'clock, I was in a place trying to help guys save uh, their business. And there is a turlock that's full. There are two turlocks beside it that's not full. Now, we need to find out why is that. Right. We, because that would have taken a ferocious amount of water. There are places at the moment that are empty of water and places that we didn't see water have water. Now, now if you go down the road, and like there are there, South Galway, we'll use South Galway as one example. Last Wednesday week, I uh, spent the full day in South Galway and I went round with the locals to show me everything that was going on in it. Uh, digging drains or dredging drains or deepening them will work in South Galway. but And there are places where you need to connect up maybe 300 metres from another side. I'm talking about overflow. I'm not talking about draining the place dry. But the problem is there is a directive there in place, the Habitat's directive, that is playing hell in the west of Ireland. You go to outside outside Loch Carab, 85% west of the Carab is designated. You go down to those areas and 
I'm I'm a believer. I'm you know that we need to work in conjunction with nature, but we've got to make sure that we don't harm nature by some of these directives. Now and on that, I'll come to Charles Stanley Smith on that. But just finally on the bogs, do we need to stop cutting turf altogether and use the bogs as part of the management? I of think. The water? A, I think. A, first of all, um, for we we represent domestic turf cutters which is minuscule and we don't take the top of the bog. Second of all, we need to look at what the national parks are proposing at the moment. There is 5 million euro coming from Europe to wet the bogs, to bring the water level up to within a few mil of the top to make sure you have active raised bog habitat. So, there could so if, be, you do that, yeah. if you do that and it rains, well, obviously it's going to skid off it. So we've, we, we have what, we've got to watch what we're doing. Domestic turf cutters, you know, to be quite frank about it, they're not taking the top of the bog. Bordnamona, in bogs that they have finished with, and there are a lot of them, I believe there's huge potential in the different areas. As, like you talked about in Pickering, be it up in Lanesborough, be it down near Banagher, the different strategic areas where you can let water in and then in low low rainfall, But Michael, if it came to a point where you had to decide between the bogs and the farmland or the bogs and houses... Would you be willing to well, the give first up thing, the bogs? The first thing you have to say is we had both for the last hundred years who were able to handle it. What is the problem now? Climate the, the, change. No, no, Climate look, look, change. Look at, look at, look at. We can. We. I. I know my area. I know how the water flows in it. Go to any area, and the people will tell you how the water flows. We have not done anything. We have neglected the whole areas the last forty or fifty years. Nothing has been done. These guys here are now... Li- listen That's to Mark. what Mark said. <laughs> listen to what Mark said. He was talking about the one part of the Shannon and he says, is it inland fisheries or waterways Ireland but the ESB? We don't know. We don't know who's... Someone has to be given the the guise of leading this project. I think it's the OPW. And the day has come that we have to stand up and say we've got to do this, not be going around in reams of red tape. And I think there is it. a consensus that one single authority is a solution. Charles Stanley yeah. Smith, the um, bogs. Well, first of all, Antasca yeah. actually yeah. called for a single um, yeah. authority 30, 40 years ago, and it's still our position. Uh, on the bogs, uh, absolutely... Uh, one of the things that we shouldn't be doing at all, actually, is digging up the, the bogs and burning them at all at all. Because as John will tell you, in terms of climate change, it is the worst possible thing you can do. Because not only is burning peat worse than actually burning coal in the amount of CO2 that's given off, but you're actually digging up what is a carbon sink. And it's really and very, expensive. And it's expensive. Yeah. We're currently under the PSO levy, levies. We're currently paying, as ESB users, $100 million euros a year to keep a couple of power stations open. We should shut those. We should give we should give the hundred million PSO levy is gone. It's no it's it's going this year. And on top of that, will you announce what the wind energy sector is getting? But that's a different role. That's a different thing. But we should that money should go to job creation for people in that area. Well, Absolutely. actually, it's we funny. I think it's it was... not just shut them and leave I, the, the people out of work. I think there shot was an acceptance for the last 40 years that the reason Bordnamona existed was solely to provide jobs. jobs. Well, let's let's give them the money and let's let them go off and find their own jobs, which are the right jobs for themselves and in communities which need that sort of thing. Now, the Habitats Directive. The Habitats Directive is there to protect habitats. Uh, and it's more than just corn crakes. I know, they, unfortunately, the corn crakes have suffered badly this year or last year. But it is to, to, to protect all forms of habitats. And it is an EU directive. 
But as even the EU themselves said uh, recently, there is this thing known as the overriding public interest, which if it's absolutely you can show that the only way to deal with something is to affect... But is that a trap in a way? Because But but before you can do that, you need the the, the likes of the CFRAM studies to treat the whole of the Shannon as a whole holistic way that you can say, yeah, unfortunately, this small bit may be something we have to deal with. But until one's done the whole thing and done the proper assessment... I'll give you a reality of what's going on at the moment. This is in in a small scale. In County Galway, and, 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 and this is why the people that's looking after roads and all that, they're pulling their hairs out. There was a flood in a road going out to Connemara. The Habitats Directive prevented the water from the road going into the field. In an emergency, Galway County Council sent out a digger. They were told to close it up again. The guard they had to get involved. What's going on in rural parts of Ireland, right? You, you can talk about the Habitats Directive all we want. The reality of it is the European Court of Justice is overruling uh, social and economic issues. It's overruling the public good. Because if you look at Germany, Germany has been refused to, to dredge one river at the moment. And, and, and the conflict and problems it's causing, everyone believes in habitats. No one is saying we should get rid of all these. But the one thing we've got to do, we have to work in conjunction with people living in the area. We come from a living, managed area. We don't come from a wilderness like mm. America. And what the Habitats Directive has been based on is a wilderness like America. No, I don't not like so. Not like what Ireland is. We come from our land, we farm our land, mm. we grew up with nature. But, Michael, but what we are being doing now is treated as second-class citizens, no, especially Michael. in the west of Ireland, with rules and regulations being imposed from Europe. I think, I think quite often, Michael, that the, the Habitats Directive is just used as an excuse and uh, let's get away from that. But I do believe that we have, and this is why the CFRAMS is so important, That, and I think that, Michael, that yourselves should interact more with the APW and go to all their various um, meetings that they have and talk more about than, than the plugs and things like okay, that. Okay, and actually I, I have there to There is take... a huge opportunity here to get it right this time because we've spent 30, 40 years with reports and everybody with their ideas. Let's get all the ideas in one place and CFRAMS is the place for that. Okay, I have to take a quick break. We'll be back with more after these. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about floods this morning and in studio, Michael Fitzmaurice, Independent TD for us, Common South Leitrim, Mark Adamson from the OPW, Charles Stanley-Smith from Antashka and John Sweeney, climatologist from the University at Maynooth. Um, Mark Adamson, where will we go to next? I think it's... It's what Geoffrey Lean, the journalist from England, was talking about, forced dichotomies. And we've seen it here in our conversations, particularly between Michael and Charles Stanley-Smith, that... How do you trade off who needs to be protected? Now, Michael's been talking about how land and water should be managed and can be managed and always has been managed. And yet maybe somebody like Charles would say, but it's that management in itself and the way we've used land is part of the problem. So where do you come down on, we'll say, the rights and entitlements of humanity to use and manage land versus the environment and habitats? Yeah, uh, it's a very difficult balance to try and strike. I mean, that, that's that's very, very clear. Our our objective, if you like, is to reduce the, the damaging effects of floods. Um, we look at um, the economics under the, the benefit-cost ratio and so on, but through CFRAM for the first time, we're now taking a far wider look at the potential benefits and detrimental impacts of flooding 
through what we call a multi-criteria analysis. And in this, we're looking at technical issues, economic issues, not just um, damages to properties, but also impacts on roads, impacts on utility, impacts on jobs. We're looking at the impacts on people, um, particularly vulnerable people, social social infrastructure like hospitals and community centres, and also the impacts on the environment. And we have about 15 different objectives. And so every option we're looking at, we appraise against each of these 15 objectives to see whether it's going to be positive or negative and how positive or negative. And so we look at then what is the best option overall, trying to strike that balance per euro spent. And that will typically be then obviously subject to consultation, now, the just preferred option that we'll be looking to take forward. And quickly as well, I know everyone seems to be agreed on the one single authority and I believe the government has asked the OPW to look into the feasibility of that because that does seem to be an issue. There are so many agencies involved. Yeah. John, well, sorry, just sorry. to be clear, I mean, the, yeah. go- the government has, has, has made an, an announcement and we're being charged to develop the terms yeah. of reference for that. But I really wouldn't be able to yeah. say much more on that. Now, John Sweeney, um, when I was reading about the establishment of Art Crusher, what struck me most about it was the cost at the time was extraordinary. It was a massive, massive investment. Mm-hmm. And for the free state at the time to have that vision, for people to lend them the money, it was really impressive. <coughs> and I was wondering, do we have the bravery now or do you think it's worth it to pour that kind of money into flood defences and like huge projects like a canal from the Shannon out to the sea, mm-hmm. massive infrastructure to alleviate these problems. I don't know if that's the solution for alleviating the problem, but I would agree that what we need now is a national effort on the scale of our Nacrusha to tackle what is, as, as we said already, a multifactorial problem. The worst flood on the Shannon was actually in 1867, which was a long time before any Habitats Directive or anything like that came out. So I think we have to look at the, the multitude of factors involved here. And I think foremost among those must be a realisation that we're facing into an emergency in terms of climate change in Ireland that has to be tackled uh, by climate change proofing every decision we take at governmental and national level. I'm very concerned about one other aspect we haven't mentioned today, and that is the health aspect. Um, I've been hearing the reports on the television and the radio of people getting sick, wandering around, and they are in fact wandering around in their own houses up to um, their knees in, in water which is contaminated by septic tank overflow. And that's where we have to have a holistic perspective. These are things which I think people have warned against for the past 20 years. These are things which people have, I think, uh, objected to any kind of control on, on single housing with septic tanks in vulnerable areas. That's a good example of where we have to get that national effort back into, so, into position for climate so change Michael, concerns. Michael, I do get this sense from you, and I understand your frustration that apparently simple things could make a big difference. But philosophically, do you accept that humanity's activities, A, is part of the problem, and B, is just no good against the sheer volume of water that we're going to have to manage well, in the first future? First of all, um, humanity's activities in the line of bad planning. We have built on floodplains. You know, what we have done yeah. is, you know, wrong. There's yeah. no point in saying that. I'm not con- I'm not so long in politics, but I'm not defending anyone that built on a floodplain. I can guarantee you that, because we've seen enough of the problem down through the last few years of what's gone on. Um, but I think the solutions. I believe that I've looked in our area. I've looked at bigger areas. I've travelled all around. There are low-lying areas that we could move water to. There is areas 
you, you mentioned uh, could we afford this investment? Could we afford a canal? They were able to build canals 50, 60 years ago. And the one thing we have to look at, what's the benefit if we had tourism being able to come from the uh, Atlantic, come through, go up the Shannon and land in Dublin? These are things we need to look at in a holistic view. And I believe it can be solved. There's no point in us um, trying to, to scratch our heads if we don't think it can be solved. And if you give up on it, then it will never be solved. Mark, I know you want to get back in. I know Charles does. And I'm afraid I've run out of time. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, Michael Fitzmaurice, Mark Addison, Charles Stanley Smith and John Sweeney. Many thanks for joining me today. Thanks to Ronan Bratton. I could put the show together. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.